Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sunday service. For those who don't know us, my name is Naya Swami Anandi. This is Naya Swami Bharat. And we're very happy to welcome all of you, especially our guests and visitors and those joining us online. So we'll begin this morning with a reading from Rays of the One Light. These are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. And this week's reading is on the, this, uh, is the title of this week's we- reading. Self-effort, too, is needed. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. These past weeks, we discussed the need for balancing self-effort with receptivity to divine grace. Both are important in the spiritual life. Passive dependence on grace hasn't the magnetism to attract grace. Boastful self-confidence, however, which closes itself off from the higher divine power, shallow, brittle, and, given life's many uncertainties, susceptible to ultimate failure. There's a story in the Bible that illustrates the need to put forth personal effort so as to draw magnetically on the divine power. The story occurs in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 8. But as he went, the crowds nearly suffocated him. Among them was a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and who had derived no benefit from anybody's treatment. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. As a result, her hemorrhage stopped immediately. Who was it who touched me, Jesus asked. When everybody denied it, Peter remonstrated. Master, the crowds are all around, pressing you on every side. But Jesus said, somebody touched me. I felt power going out from me. When the woman realized that she had not escaped notice, she came forward, trembling, and fell at his feet, and admitted before everyone why she had touched him, adding that she had been instantaneously cured. Daughter, Jesus said, it is by your faith that you have been healed. Go in peace. Self-confidence and self-effort are necessary, as the ignition of a car is necessary to the motor. Of what use the ignition, however, if the motor itself will not work? Wise is he who recognizes the real power in the universe and guides his life by that supreme power. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, the ninth chapter, To those who meditate on me as their very own, ever united to me by incessant worship, I make good their deficiencies and render permanent their gains. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind.
morning. I'd like to read from Whispers from Eternity, um, a mystical poetry written by Paramahansa Yogananda. <laughs> I take the sacred vow, never will I lower my love's gaze below the eyebrow horizon of my constant thoughts of thee. Never will I turn my uplifted inner sight away from thee. Never will I let my mind dwell on anything that reminds me not of thee. I will disdain the nightmare of ignorant behavior. I will court all dreams of noble achievement, those of love, kindness, and understanding, for they are thy dreams. Though I dream many dreams, Wakefully, I will ever think of thee in the sacred fire of constant remembrance, kept ever alight on my soul's altar. I will ever behold thy presence in the watchful eyes of devotional love. Thy grace has shown me that the dualities of health and sickness, of life and death, joy and sorrow are but passing fantasies. I am finished with those eternally self-canceling delusions. I am persuaded at last that there is no one, but there is but one abiding reality, thy eternal, ever-conscious, ever-new, ever-thrilling, infinite bliss. <clears throat> Swami said that uh, one uh, time an older nun uh, told about how Master uh, really didn't want to lecture to people unless they met him at least part way on his wavelength, uh, in his consciousness. And of course, as we know the story, most of us, how he would run out on the stage and hair flying behind him, and he would say, how is everyone? And everyone would say, awake and ready. And how feels everyone? Awake and ready. You know, and I was thinking about that, and, you know, Yogananda would often say, uh, uh, why would, uh, you know, people are saying, God, come down here where it's nice and comfortable <laughs> and relaxing, a little sleepy and lethargic. And uh, God would say, well, why go down there? You know, he wants us to come up here and vibrate on his level of consciousness and his level of bliss and uh, universal love. And it's much nicer up there than down here. Uh, and uh, you know, I was thinking about the, the expression, uh, when the disciple is ready, the guru appears. And uh, what is behind that? The disciple has done the inner work, hasn't he or she, uh, to be able to have the capability and have a, the great willingness to follow the guru's guidance. There's no reason, really, for the guru to appear if we can't follow through. And, of course, God is helping us before we make that commitment on our career towards enlightenment. Uh, but when we get really serious, uh, that's what it really really takes. Um, Yogananda, uh, in the uh, book that, uh, uh, wisdom book that uh, Anandi has just uh, put together of his writings, uh, he talked about how uh, the, the passive kind of devotee wants God to do everything. 
uh, for them. You know, he's, after all, he has the, he's the creator of the universe and he has all the magnetism and he has all the power. Why not? Uh, and then the, the, the egotist um, uh, sort of forgets where that power comes from. They use their God-given intelligence uh, and then they forget to align uh, their discrimination uh, with God. And, uh, and uh, I remember uh, a statement by Churchill. Uh, he said that, uh, of course, I have an ego. How do you get anything done without one? <laughs> and uh, I actually was on a phone conversation with my younger brother yesterday, and I shared uh, that statement. He goes, yeah, that's right. And he didn't let me <laughs> fill in the other side. <laughs> well, there's a power to, to tune into that's even much greater than our own uh, puny efforts. When, uh, and uh, maybe I'll get a chance in the future. But, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, when I had just come to Ananda, uh, I had joined the monastery, and uh, there was a lot of uh, you know long meditations and a lot of enthusiasm uh, for the, the spiritual life there. And I had a chance to see Swami, and I asked him, "Do you have any uh, advice for my meditation?" And he said, well, keep Divine Mother first. And perhaps maybe I was using, uh, you know, maybe uh, more willpower and maybe less devotion. I'm not sure. But then uh, that night after seeing Swami, uh, I had a dream. And, you know, Master has really come and he's presented uh, the perfect balance of, uh, you know, seeking God and attuning to God uh, in a very energetic way, uh, and also receptivity. Because many, uh, the New Age thought movement says, create your vision board, and, uh, and you'll get what you want. And, and we leave out the divine power uh, behind that. Well, anyway, in this dream, I was riding a bicycle through a grain field. And it was a beautiful day, windy like today, and the grass, uh, the grain, uh, wheat fields were uh, moving in the wind. It was quite thrilling. And as I was going along, I saw swooping out of the sky a falcon, a beautiful large falcon flying right, right next to me. And, and I looked over, and it was just so entrancing and magnetic. Uh, I was just uh, wanted to stay with that falcon. And the falcon kind of looked at me and smiled, and, uh, and then it went, uh, flew a little bit faster uh, than I was going. And so uh, I pedaled as fast as I could to stay even because I wanted to stay close to the falcon. Uh, and then it shot even uh, faster, uh, and I paddled as hard as I could to stay with the falcon. And, um, and then it looked at me, and I was just saying, can you do this? Uh, and then it just shot quickly ahead, and I couldn't pedal that fast. But I felt my bicycle going as fast as the falcon. And then the falcon flew into the sky, and I left the bicycle and flew in the sky with a falcon. And that was the rest of Swami's answer uh, to my question. Uh, because uh, we can go a, a ways uh, through our own willpower, and that, but it's such a pittance uh, compared to when we uh, tune into the divine power of the universe. Uh, when Swami first experienced the own vibration, uh, it was just so amazing. He felt like, um, you know, just it wouldn't matter what happened to anything in this world. Uh, and he could it just, you would experience a greater reality and we start to become that reality. And we start to feel that uh, behind us. 
you know, uh, Swami um, is so talented in so many ways. Swami Kriyananda, uh, he wrote all kinds of books. And one of the things that he was very talented with is creating music. And, and Swami said that when you love God enough, God will give you anything that you want. And he'll do it quickly according to the measure of your love for God. And Swami would just have to think of a melody and he had asked God uh, for that melody that would express such and such. And instantly that melody would come to him. And I thought about that and how God will uh, at that, how he'll give us when we get to a certain point, he'll give us everything. And he has to hold back because uh, in the beginning we have all different kinds of desires. It's said that each one of us creates our own world according to our thoughts and actions. And with some people, it's not really uh, a beautiful world. It's a world that's very, very challenging. And we uh, have a lot of karma, all of us, that uh, we're uh, working through uh, because of past actions. Uh, but once we only want God, then God can get, uh, give us everything on all levels because uh, he knows that we're anchored in him. Uh, and there's no reason for him to hold back. It's like a little child. You don't give a little child something that would hurt them themselves. Uh, but once somebody is mature enough, uh, they can be given the, the keys to the family car or to anything else. Master, he, he talked about how when we, well, first, before I get to that story, I'd like to talk about how, you know, it's really, we attune to different influences. It's our choice whether we attune to a negative influence or a positive influence because our thoughts aren't our own. Uh, and it's whatever we're level of consciousness that we're uh, reaching for. And Master uh, has talked about how uh, when we, if we called somebody on the phone, if you called them and then you quickly got up and ran away, it wouldn't work very well. We'd never get an answer. And a lot of us, we're like that in our, our, our prayers and our, our, our meditations. Uh, there's an underlying restlessness. And although um, we've, you know, it's uh, maybe a lot of us, we've, we've overcome a lot of that, but it's still... Uh, it's still there. I, I've noticed just in meditation, uh, I might think that I'm done because my mind get might be a little restless. And then I go, no, let me just let go of this thought. Then all of a sudden, there's that stillness again, isn't there? And then you can continue meditating. Uh, and so that is just always uh, behind us. Master told a beautiful story when he was a young boy. Uh, he wanted to show his friend that what it took to have an experience of God. And his uh, master said that if one really applied himself, he could experience uh, God would come to them. And he said, uh, really? Well, let's do it tonight. And so they went up into master's attic and they sat down and uh, they did Kriya Yoga. And then they did the Hong Sa technique and they sat in the inner silence and then uh, they, they sat all night and just calling to, to God. And still God hadn't come. And then finally the dawn started to break. And the nighttime was over. And his little friend was starting to be sleepy. And he said he couldn't go on anymore. 
uh, I, uh, um, Chris is not coming tonight. And Master said, you go ahead and sleep if you want to, but I will die trying to, and I will call in, uh, Krishna. And then moments later, Krishna appeared standing on the golden clouds, and Master said, oh, I, I see Krishna, I see Krishna. And his little friend said, oh, no, it's your imagination. Uh, and uh, Master said, no, let me touch you on the chest, and you'll see him too. And he said, oh, oh, I see Krishna. And that's such a, a beautiful story. Uh, but when we hear stories of the saints, uh, sometimes we can be a little bit intimidated by the depth of their yearning for God. And uh, when is the last time that we've spent all night praying to God? Maybe I'm sure that we have done that in our lives because we're all very serious, but um, or maybe long hours into the night. You know, sometimes we can uh, and other times maybe not so. Uh, but Swami said something uh, very beautiful that has always stuck with me. He said that uh, we may not feel like we have the devotion of the saints uh, and that it's, uh, it's beyond our, our grasp. Uh, but if we keep reaching up for God, God will reach down and pick us up and he'll give us the power to love him. And that's because we've shown that that's our over driving desire that's what we want and god when it's a wholesome desire will give it to us uh and so um and that has come you you, you look at each other here and uh at ananda village and and our guests who visit us and you can see it in their eyes that people have that kind of devotion swami in his book uh, on a new dispensation said that uh, it, it, that out of all proportion, he's seen people change once they start to pick up these teachings. And, uh, and of course, they apply themselves to these teachings, but it's the grace. We're aligned to a line of masters, the great masters, that give us the power to seek God, give their power. The master said that whenever you pray and meditate, we should thank the great ones, and we'll feel a real reinforcement of divine power behind our efforts and uh, and that is uh, that is true it's important to sustain our efforts on the path and to have it be constant because that's sincerity when we don't want anything else and we're uh, we're just intent uh, devotion could be called deep attention, uh, intention, in the sense of that, that it's just an overwhelming desire, that you want that state of uh, consciousness, you want that closeness with God. There's a, a beautiful story uh, that took place during World War II. And before I tell the story, uh, there was a, a, a woman author who wanted to write a, a book about the Girl Guides, and she thought that they were kind of corny and they were always so goody-goody. She wanted to make it a satire and she wanted to essentially laugh at them in the book. And she was researching the Girl, uh, Girl Guides and uh, the London headquarters and their archives. And she came across a log, uh, uh, a log notebook. And uh, in it, uh, she saw an entry where it said, We sang our song. And the words were, 
We might have been shipped to Kalamazoo. We might have been shipped to Timbuktu. It's not reparation or starvation. It's concentration in Shafu. And what did that mean? <laughs> Where is Shafu? <laughs> you might be asking that question yourself. <laughs> and so she looked it up, and it's uh, a northeastern uh, province in, in China. Well, what are girl guides doing there? And uh, so she started looking through the notebook, and she realized that it was a school attended by British girls and American girls, and they were put in a concentration camp uh, during World War II. And she kept reading the, uh, the, the journal, and it was written by a young 20-year-old girl guide. And as she was walking into the prison camp, she said, what's this? Oh, it's, uh, it's a prison, and uh, we can have a lot of fun here. We can work on our merit badges. <laughs> and uh, and the, the teachers, when they were taken to uh, the concentration camp, they took the, the girl guide uniforms, they took musical instruments, things to keep the children occupied. And uh, they... Um, they just the, they just transformed the prison. There were a lot of adults there. Uh, they kept the children focused. Uh, they they said as uh, one of the uh, internees, as a young girl, she said, as we were eating there, uh, and uh, one of the teachers came by and they said, Mary Jane, uh, do, don't talk with your mouth full and, and sit up when you eat. There's not one set of manners for princesses in Buckingham Palace and another set of manners in the uh, Fei Shui uh, uh, concentration camp. And they just, then they, they wanted the, uh, the scouts to do a good turn every day, and they sang all the time. They sang songs, um, day is done, gone is sun, from the sea, from the hills, from the sky. All is well, safely rest. God is nigh. And uh, the girls that were in that camp years later said that, how could you be afraid when you kept singing, God is near? And it was like a groove in a gramophone record. And it, uh, and it just, uh, you are safe. You are safe. You are safe. The interviewer asked uh, the, the older woman that who had been in the camp, well, surely it wasn't summer camp, was it? Uh, and she said, well, I've never been in a summer camp. But, uh, and we knew what was going on. There were uh, guard dogs and towers, and the guards were practicing bayonetting practices uh, the, with the uh, practice. And uh, all that was going on. Uh, but uh, our whole minds were focused on what was positive. And, and, you know, and that's such a beautiful story because we're used to saints uh, acting in such a way. But this was a whole prison camp, 150 children that were focused in that way. I had a dream uh, not, uh, just a few days ago. And in, in this dream, I... Uh, I was put in a jail cell, and right next to me in, my, in the adjacent cell was another person, and we were looking through the bars. And this person was saying, I want to get out of here. And uh, he would say it every so often. And I, um, 
I sensed intuitively that when he said it the, the required number of times that he would be free. And I thought to myself, gosh, he, he's really fortunate. He knows when he'll be free. And uh, I don't, it could be anybody's guess when I'm going to be free. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then at a certain point, the, his jail cell door opened, and he was free. But I found at the same time that my jail cell uh, uh, the door was open as well. And I'd been saying quietly the whole time, I want to be free. I want to be free. And I realized that there was a silent force that was tallying every time that I said that. Uh, and then uh, I was. And when we want God deeply enough, we're really close. It's just a matter of time. That's what Yogananda said. It's that uh, when that's our overdriving desire, that will be fulfilled. Uh, I, I noticed that uh, Kalidasa, I don't know if he's here today, uh, but on his meditation bag when he comes to the Hansa Temple, uh, it says, escape completely. <laughs> and I thought, it was, what a wonderful motto uh, for uh, meditation. And Paramahansa Yogananda has given us a beautiful image he said that you, uh, you could have a million cubic foot of air and it can be compressed in one cubic foot. And that's uh, exactly what happens to our experience of cosmic consciousness when we identify with the body. And that's what Yogananda said, that the ego is the soul identified with the body. And we're confined to a tiny portion of matter and that's why the great saints say that uh, we have to get rid of desires because our experience of life gets confined by those desires and limited. But once we break the shell of the body, that um, our consciousness expands throughout all space, just as uh, that cubic foot of air, once that container is opened, it spreads out to a, mil- a million cubic feet of air. And I was thinking about that, and really the spiritual path is what we're doing is we're identifying with divine realities, and we're setting aside anything that would confine our experience of uh, cosmic consciousness into a tiny portion of matter. And so every time that something comes along like that, we really have a choice Swami, uh, you know, we all have a spiritual aspect of our senses. And he said that you could use the sense of touch for pleasure or you could touch the universe. universe. The choice is ours. And so, as uh, Swami also said, that renunciation isn't a loss. It's It's just an experience of infinity. It leads to that. And so, self effort. We really have the choice uh, on, on the path of, uh, you know, uh, we, the influences we choose and the direction we go. And we can either choose God or God will wait for us. And eventually we'll have God. But let's have God now. Bless us all. <laughs>